Welcome to the Faith Effects Podcast, where life and faith meet. Mark, you and I come from that era of people, that age, uh, where at some point or another, you collected something, right? You collected oh, yeah. hockey cards or you collected uh, models or like what, when you were a kid, what did you collect? Well, two things jump immediately in mind, Bernie. One is agates. Uh, I just love finding, you know, these semi-translucent oh, wow. stones. And I, I don't know where the batch is, but I, I just got mounds of those. But the other was Britain's limited uh, figurines. So there's these tiny little things, but they're exquisitely done, hand-painted. And they're quite expensive, but I would save up my allowance and there's a store in the town where I lived and I would go and look longingly at these Britain's limited thing and decide that's the next one I'm going to purchase. So I still have quite a collection of Britain's limited little figurines. So yeah, you're way more high end than I am. Uh, I, I didn't collect anything sort of that fancy or collectible. I collected, you know, uh, some hockey stickers from the local gas station when I was a kid. But now that I think about it, the one thing I did collect was uh, Dime Store, uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not books. And I still have them. I can see them sitting on a shelf from here. And uh, I've worked my way through them. My kids worked uh, their way through them. And uh, yeah, they're still there. They're kind of tattered. I collected them when I was young, but but I, I can't part with them uh, to this day. But you know what else I've discovered I've been collecting lately? What's that? Masks. <laughs> <laughs> and not on purpose, but, you know, if I go to my, you know, I have my car uh, and, and my wife's truck, uh, I've got like a, a variety of masks and some even in my office. Uh, I, I've been collecting masks. Is that just me or? No, uh, my goodness. Like, I remember back in in uh, almost a year ago when the pandemic started and masks sold out everywhere and nobody was, you know, hand sewing them at that point. And I had to, uh, I had to leave Europe because of COVID and the only mask my wife and I could find were those cheap little, you know, things that you wear when you're doing a woodworking shop and you, you sort of like to want to yeah. prevent the dust from getting in your lungs. So we're, we're boarding an international flight with these stupid little cones over our head Right. And uh, and and it was a, it was a crisis. I remember, you know, people saying we need all these masks. Where are the masks coming from? And now you're right. I have a bowl just by my keys where I go at the door and it's mounded with masks. And I can sort of choose, pick and choose from which one I'm going to wear today. Oh, cool. And which is your favorite? Well, I, you know, I. I my wife has made a number of what she's a great seamstress in a number. And so uh, she got some material that has a classic kind of um, Plains native design on it. And uh, it's very bright. And that's a, you know, we've, we've got many indigenous friends. So that's sort of like, I like yeah. to wear my colors, I guess, around that. So she, she's made a bunch of them, but there's one particular area that I, I particularly fond of. Do you have a fave? Well, see again. You outrun me like crazy. You're way classier than I am. I have one I, I really like. It's it's a, a local college and seminary gave it to me, uh, and I like it because it's fitted and it fits a, a it, it it fits on my uh, significant uh, nose. Yeah, uh, and so I like it for that reason. But you know which one I really like? Like functionally, I really like. 
are those blue masks, just the blue ones, because I can breathe in those. The, the, yeah, the yeah. other ones, right, if you get your heart rate up and you're, you're going faster, uh, it's just like, uh, yeah, you feel the drag and the draw. Yeah, uh, yeah those uh, medical masks are designed to breathe. And uh, you're right, I've got a little bit of a collection of those going. And I sometimes I just, you know, have to wear one just to breathe. Yeah, I've, I've said recently to somebody that, uh, and maybe we can start it right here, that there ought to be a new trend. You know, my son works for a paint store and they have those bazillion palettes of colors and that stuff. But, uh, and this has two meanings, but my mask, I say that shade, that shade of color on there should be known forevermore as COVID blue. <laughs> yeah, I can just see, you know, a couple of years from now, people painting their nursery or their living room COVID blue. Right. Well, we got a great guest, a, a friend that's been, uh, I've known for about 20 years. You just got to meet him, just read his book, mm. but really enjoy this interview that we're about to hear. And I, I, I think this stunt has always stood out about our guest, Steve Brown, is he so embodies that which he writes about and speaks about. There is a, a Jesus, a Jesus centeredness about this man. You can feel it, you can hear it. And uh, so it's, it, there's no disconnect when I listen to Steve talking about being led by Jesus. It's everything about him exudes that. Yeah. And, and I, I just met him and, and you pick it up right away as well. So without any further ado, let's go uh, hang out with Steve Brown. Welcome back to Faith Effects. I'm Bernie Vandewall, along with Mark Buchanan. And today, as usual, we have another exemplary guest. Mark? Yeah, uh, I'm very excited about this guest, with Steve Brown. I'm going to say something about my personal relationship with Steve, but let me give you the for formal introduction at this point. Steve's husband, Talee. They have three teen children, Luke, Ansley, and Lauren. And he lives in Vancouver, British Columbia. In fact, just prior to getting on this call, he was kind of bragging about the weather there. And like all people from BC, especially Southern BC, there's a kind of uh, strutting of moral superiority that they have about you know living in this place. It's more like Northern California. Steve Brown is the North American president of Arrow Leadership. And Arrow is very much about Jesus-centered leadership. And that's a lot of what we're going to talk about today, that's a real heartbeat for Steve. It's uh, the title of a new book that he has coming out. He has a few resources out there, but uh, here's a, a few of the books that Steve's written. Leading Me, Eight Key Practices for Christian Leaders, Most Important Assignment. He's got a book called Great Questions for Leading Well. I've used that often. I often dip into that because uh, I, I find I, I bumble around sometimes with asking good questions. And then he also produces a free monthly e-resource at www.sharpeningleaders.com. He's got experience in local church, denominational leadership, parachurch leadership, and marketplace. Steve's has earned degrees from Wilfrid Loyer University and HBBA. He's going to have to explain what that is in a moment. Uh, he's, he's got an MDiv from T 
Tyndale Seminary and a Doctor of Ministry from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. In addition, not only is he world leader, global leader for Aero Leadership, but he is a graduate of Aero Leadership. And that's where my story begins with Steve. We actually were students together in, I think it was the 10th Aero Leadership class. And uh, that was right that was 20 years ago. And we're He's younger than me to begin with, but I was even young back then and immediately uh, was drawn to this young man, his brightness, but also this this Jesus-centeredness that I, I think a lot of us saw in Steve. And it's been a great pleasure to walk with him and have many, many conversations with him and get much in, uh wisdom from him over the years. So I am thrilled to have Steve Brown, president of Aero Leadership, with us today. Excellent. Now, Steve, this is the first time we've met, uh, you and I. I know Buchanan, as he said, has known you from way back. But but tell me, tell us a little bit more about who is the real Steve Brown. And, and tell uh, those of us who don't know something about Aero Leadership. Thanks so much, uh, Bernie and Mark. Great to be with you. Um, who's the real Steve Brown? I'm still uh, trying to figure that out. But uh, I'm not the Steve Brown who's the big radio preacher from Florida or wherever. I, I've disappointed many audiences just by showing up uh, in the past. I thought it was going to be Steve Brown. Well, it is, but it's it's not that Steve Brown. Um, uh, my, my quick story, Bernie, is... Uh, came to faith at 18, much to my own surprise, grew up in, in Ontario. And um, at 18, just before I went off to university, uh, had, a, had a real clear confrontation with Jesus that he was the, the way, the truth, and the life. And I either needed to follow him and engage whatever cost that would bring or knowingly reject him. And uh, so I, I went off to university as a brand new Christ follower and I intended to, you know, join the family business after business school and maybe become a lawyer one day. Um, but at the end of business school, I had this sense of calling that was stirring in me. And I, I wrote a, a strange letter to Josh McDowell, uh, the speaker, author, and uh, his books are a big part of me coming to faith. And I asked, is there any way I could hang out with him? And that opened the door to a a year or so long internship and traveling uh, the, the world with him. And coming back, I, I started to go to Tyndale and met my wife, Lee, there, and also started to uh, work alongside a church plant in Hamilton, Ontario. And uh, yeah, so I'm a, I'm a uh, husband to Lee, uh, 24 years this year, uh, dad to three teenagers, and I've discovered I'm a lot uh, less clever than I thought I was when I was a youth pastor starting out, and now that I've got uh, three teenagers. Um, but uh, uh, enjoying that journey and uh, love to, to read and to run and to travel, although I'm not doing so great on the travel part these days. So, Steve, I'm going to pick up you. Bernie had also thrown a second question about Arrow. But let me ask you to tell us a bit about Arrow, but also how you became, you know, 20 years ago, graduated from the program, and now you are the Arrow president for Arrow, Arrow leadership chapters all through the world. How, tell us a bit about the, the ministry and, the, and then that journey. 
Yeah, it's really God's sense of humor, Mark, because I I was pastoring at this church plant in Hamilton. Uh, I had kind of hit a, a ceiling uh, about five years in. I'd done my master's work, and I'd hit this ceiling where I was recognizing that there were some things holding me back that I couldn't deal with. Uh, I didn't know how to deal with. I didn't even know what words to put to them. And I was sensing, you know, I'm I'm holding back the, the ministry here. Uh, and what, what can I do? I've been to seminary. So somebody introduced me to Arrow and said, you need to do the Arrow Leadership Program. So I applied, was accepted, uh, headed west to join 24 other leaders from across the country, Mark being one of them. And I don't know if you know this part of the story, Mark, but in those first couple of days, uh, I tried to get myself sent home uh, because all my insecurity buttons were pressed uh, being in this room uh, of leaders from all over the place. And I just said, I'm not supposed to be here. Uh, and I actually asked uh, if I could be sent home uh, twice. And um, that was, you know, just the start of God's humor of, of Steve, who wants to get sent home as an arrow leader, you know, several years later, joins the team as a director of programs. And then uh, the last 10 years have been president. So um, that was a, a life changing experience for me um, in many, many ways, because I had a safe but not soft place to process life and leadership. And I think as leaders, we need safe places. Uh, to, to just really ask questions. We need uh, spaces, arrows, kind of uh, focus is personal, intentional, and transformational. So having a mentor come alongside me one-on-one uh, -on -one and just listen to me, uh, encourage me, pray for me, uh, resource me, give me wisdom, a kick in the pants when needed was just a huge gift. And the sense of uh, getting to know myself and to, to understand what are some of those things that are holding me back and then to have a journey uh, in community to deal with some of those things was a huge gift. So Arrow started 30 years ago, uh, Leighton Ford, uh, Billy Graham, brother-in-law, uh, Christian statesman, um, evangelist. He started Arrow with the heartbeat of developing Jesus-centered leaders. So Leighton was 60 when he started Arrow, and there wasn't a lot of Christian leadership uh, stuff out there at the time, but his heartbeat was to develop a, a program and the Air Leadership Program is our flagship to really help leaders be led more by Jesus, lead more like Jesus, and lead more to Jesus. So that's where we get Jesus centered from. Uh. The last couple of years have been crazy for me. I, I left full-time academic work hanging out with Mark uh, two years ago to step into a, a different kind of leadership role with the Alliance here in Canada. And not that long after COVID slammed its way onto our shores. And it, man, it's been a wild ride for me. That's for sure. Uh, and I imagine it's been likewise for you with Arrow. So three quick questions. Uh, how have you navigated the pa uh, pandemic? Uh, how has Arrow navigated the pandemic and how has Arrow helped others uh, navigate the pandemic? Three quick questions, Bernie, that probably are slow to answer. Um, when I think about uh, the last 30 years, I can see that there's every 10 years, there's been a significant leadership challenge facing at least North America, if not the world. So you think back um, to 9-11, uh, 
Uh, you think back to the stock market and recession of 20 or 2008, uh, which really hit uh, Canada and nonprofits in 2010. And then you think about uh, COVID. So kind of every 10 years, there's a significant uh, bump, it seems. Personally, um, there's a whole other level uh, behind uh, this last year. So uh, last uh, Friday, so just a couple days ago, a year ago, um, I walked into a hospital with my wife and I sat in the uh, waiting room waiting for a doctor to come in with results from my wife's uh, biopsy. And uh, the doctor came in the room, uh, this is just last week, a year ago, um, and said, uh, Leave got cancer and it was breast cancer. So that uh, was the prelude to COVID for us. And uh, that obviously turned our, our 2020 upside down, inside out, um, and uh, changed the trajectory of our, our year. Uh, it led to a, a mastectomy, uh, three months of chemotherapy over the summer, uh, 25 rounds of radiation through the fall. So uh, it was a uh, personal grind uh, in the midst of uh, a leadership grind as well. Um, but so thankful to God's faithfulness, the prayers and kindnesses of so many people uh, that Lee has now done treatment. Um, she's kind of in monitoring space right now. Um, but that was a, a whole other kind of space of, of learning and, and put COVID in a different perspective uh, personally. Um, so that's the, the personal side of the, the, my journey last year. Um, uh, in terms of Arrow um, uh, and leading the team here, uh, we serve both Canada and the United States from uh, our office here just outside Vancouver. And um, uh, we have a distributed team. So I haven't been together with my distributed team in over a year. So trying to make leadership decisions uh, as a team when people are across the country, across the continent is, is a challenge. Um, but I'm, uh, our, our mode was really, let's not waste a good crisis. Uh, a mentor kind of shared that uh, adage with me. And we really went into uh, how do we uh, be agile in this space? How do we uh, plug into some resiliency? Um, and how do we innovate? Uh, and that's really been a key part of what we're doing because for leaders, as you know, uh, leadership is always hard, uh, I believe, or it's hard a lot of the time. It's tiring a lot of the time. It's lonely a lot of the time. And COVID has magnified each of those things. It's harder, lonelier, and more tiring than maybe ever in my lifetime of, of leadership. So our heartbeat has been, how do we serve? Uh, that has meant uh, creating space to pray uh, for and with leaders, uh, to create resources for leaders, uh, figuring out how to do Zoom in a way that doesn't put people to sleep. Um, it's meant um, trying to be courage givers to leaders right now in whatever way we could possibly be courage givers. Steve, your book, Jesus-Centered Leadership, has just come out and is now available in bookstores and uh, on internet sellers where most people acquire books these days. A couple questions from that. First of all, I'd love for you to sum up the heart of that book. 
Actually, if you could even back up, your other major release a, a couple of few years ago was Leading Me. If you could give us a quick kind of a, a elevator pitch on that one and give us a sense, and then a summary of the heart of the book, Jesus-Centered Leadership. Yes, Leading Me was my first book, and thanks, Mark, for doing the forward uh, and your kind words in that. Um, leading me is about personal leadership. So when I think about leadership, I think about leadership, there's organizational leader cha leadership challenges. There are team leadership challenges. We're probably all familiar with those. I found that though there's com complexity with organizational or team uh, challenges, my biggest leadership challenge every day is the guy that looks back at me in the mirror. When I brush my teeth, it's me. So the book is really about how do you lead yourself well? and leading yourself well in partnership with God and in the context of community. So that's really the heartbeat of the book is personal leadership. Jesus-centered leadership, uh, the second book, uh, the one that's just come out, is really looking at Jesus as the leader of leaders, that he has no rival. Um, there's nobody better. I've got a, a stack of books behind me right now about leadership, about uh, life, and there's no better model to follow. Um, Jesus is in a league all by himself. He lived different. He led different. And sometimes I think we get so familiar with Jesus that we lose the richness of of an awe of who Jesus is. And if we have an awe of who Jesus is, then we'll be drawn to him. And when we're drawn to him, we'll be transformed by him. And when we're transformed by him, other people will be drawn to him as well. So that's really the heartbeat of Jesus centered uh, in the book. It's a great book, Stephen. I've had an opportunity to read it. So a couple of things that stood out going through the book a, a second time, getting ready for this interview. Page 22, you say, and it's in connection with the story of the, uh, the, the wind and the waves and the, you know, this fear of the disciples. You say, following Jesus usually starts as a God-initiated disruption. Say more. Yes. So come follow me were very disruptive words. It was a very disruptive invitation. And I found that in my own life, I've heard come follow me in lots of different ways. And, and they're often very disruptive. Um, throughout scripture, there are people who, you know, were going about their business and all of a sudden God spoke in and disrupted uh, their, their lives. And that started them on a journey that they didn't fully comprehend or understand. Um, I think about the, the night of my dad's uh, heart attack. It was my 18th birthday. Uh, and I, I didn't expect to be at a hospital, uh, you know, crying out to God, uh, the, the God who I've been kind of ignoring and making fun of. And there, there I was crying out to him. And in the midst of that disruption of my 18th birthday, I sensed God was calling me to follow him and to really get to know who he was. So uh, I just think of so many um, disruptions. Um, I got a, when I was uh, serving our denomination a number of years ago, I got a, uh, my boss came to me and said, Steve, I think there's this job that sounds exactly like you with Aero Leadership. And I, I mean, it was a disruption. I had no, two, two little kids under two, uh, no thought of moving to the West Coast, no thought of leaving the role that I was in. Um, and that started me kind of on this journey of listening for this voice of 
come follow me, uh, even to the West Coast. Um, so yeah, I think there's lots of uh, lots of us have had those uh, disruptive moments that mm. sent us on a journey we didn't anticipate. And uh, yeah, that's a little bit about what I meant. How, how helpful that is, though, uh, when we're in the midst of a disruption to pause and ask, is Christ getting my attention here? Is, is this a beckoning, a summoning to follow? One quick other comment about the book, Jesus-Centered Leadership. In chapter three, you start with describing a painting by the Italian Renaissance painter Tintoretto, and it's about the Last Supper. And it's not like the normal kind of things, all, all nicely kind of, uh, you know, this this, this beautiful uh Symmetry Balance, of yeah. symmetry of you know, but it's a mess and it's 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 all this kind of uh, hullabaloo going on, and you you have a profound reflection on as you were meditating on that. Could you could you recap that? Yeah, all the pictures of the Last Supper I'd been used to were thirteen guys sitting at a table, kind of like a hockey team picture. Um, Jesus' team captain in the middle. Everyone's kind of looking forward. And this picture just blew my mind when I saw it because um, there are way more than 13 people in the room. Um, there were women in the room. There's a, a Holy Spirit fire happening in one corner, an angelic kind of heavenly deal happening in another corner. And the question that was put to me was, Steve, if you were in this picture, where would you be? And would you be beside Jesus? Would you be far from Jesus? Um, would you be off in a corner kind of trying to, you know, figure out what was going on? And I recognized, much to my own kind of embarrassment, that I wasn't even in the picture. Uh, where was I? Well, in my mind, I was outside getting stuff ready for Jesus to do next. So I was uh, doing lots of good pastoral work and ministry work. Um, but I wasn't close to Jesus. And that picture brought that home to me and really made me wrestle with why was I driving so hard? Why was I uh, missing relationship with Jesus in the midst of doing ministry? And what I discovered in the midst of that was I had this kind of thought that Jesus was this spectator off at the sideline uh, who was kind of either uninterested in what I was doing or demanding that I performed and, and in a sense, produced. And uh, those um, images are obviously very distorted, and God began to really work at those and to remind me that, first and foremost, uh, I'm called to Jesus and to have an intimate relationship with him and to recognize that uh, I'm not doing anything for Jesus. I'm only doing things with Jesus. And I need to recognize that the, the heart of my, my identity and who I am isn't what I'm doing. It's that, as Henry Nouwen says, I'm the beloved, uh, beloved by Jesus. It's a good reminder. Yeah, Steve, when I first saw the title for the book, I thought to myself, you know, you know a little confession here. Oh, here we go. Another guy who's going to tell us step A, step B, step C, step D, do this and all will be wonderful. Uh, you know, that you're providing for us another ethic uh, of, of doing. But I was pleased to see that for you to be Jesus-centered is more than just to be Jesus-focused. And I think we often, uh, when we talk about Jesus-centered, we think about Jesus-focused. But, you know, what I really loved about this book uh, is the way you wedded those things together, that that to be 
Jesus centered is both to live from him and, and you said with him, uh, but as much or more than it is to live for him, or certainly that it, it plays a real foundational role. And you've unpacked that a little bit for us already, but I wonder if you could unpack this a little bit more, especially about how the two things relate. Yeah, when when Arrow first started 30 years ago, the the mission was developing Christian leaders who lead like Jesus and who lead uh, more like Jesus and who lead more to Jesus. That was kind of lead like Jesus, lead more to Jesus. And they quickly discovered um, that there was a piece missing, which is if you're going to lead more like Jesus and lead more to Jesus, you first need to be led by him and recognize that we're followers first and, and developing that intimate relationship of, uh, with Jesus that we're led by him, that we can hear his voice, that we've slowed down long enough to, to hear his voice and know his voice. And then we have the, the faith and the relationship and the dependence on him to follow after him. So that was really, uh, I think a, was a breakthrough for Arrow back in the day. And one that's critically important because um, we can get so busy uh, leading. And if we try and just, you know, lead like Jesus without being led by him, then we're actually leading on our own. And leading on our own isn't a healthy or good place to, to try and lead from. Steve, that's, that's an excellent distinction. Can you say a personal word about how Jesus-centered leadership, is, as you've described it, the differences made either in your own life and or in the, the, the life of somebody, a leader you've worked with? Yeah, when, you, when I think about being led more by Jesus, um, when, I, when I was sharing with you kind of doing things for God um, and this drivenness that, that came and kind of performing and producing, that life is exhausting. And I'm not the only leader that's, that's tried it out and failed. I know that a lot of leaders have. And recognizing um, uh, that, like, how arrogant is it to, for me to think I'm doing something for God? like the, the creator and sustainer of the universe, um, and I'm doing something for him. Um, like I had to kind of both come to a humility and recognize um, the only part I have in this is really with him. And, and a big part of that is actually enjoying who God is and, and allowing him to enjoy me and being saturated by his love. Um, and I know that might seem touchy-feely, but uh, I needed to go there. Um, because if, if I can understand God's, the magnitude of God's love for me, I think that changes everything. That changes how I live and how I lead. Um, an, another kind of differential here in terms of Jesus-centered leadership making a big difference is a lot of us in ministry see ourselves as, as doers. So I need to do the work of the ministry rather than seeing ourselves as developers. And Ephesians 4, 13 gets, gets us in there in terms of our ministry is to develop others. And that idea of investing in a few for the sake of the many, uh, which was Christ's model, is something we need to adopt and, and uh, being intentional about developing others with Jesus.
Uh, let's say, let's hope uh, that this book becomes a huge bestseller. Uh, you know, sort of the prayer of Jabez or the purpose-driven life for the 2020s. If that were to happen, uh, what do you think would change in Canadian churches? Uh, what would what would look different? What would be different? We'd certainly have to chop down a lot of trees, uh, Bernie, to to print the books. Um, if if we went went in that direction, um, but when I think about Canadian churches, um, and my heart for the book is that I believe Jesus is a game changer, and we've either, in some cases, dismissed him or diminished him in, in many ways. We've become so familiar with him. Uh, John Stott has this beautiful quote about Jesus. Um, he says, "We we talk about Alexander the Great, Charles the Great, Napoleon the Great, but not." Jesus the great. He is not the great. He is the only. And I'm just stirred by uh, who Jesus is. And I think that if if we were able to uh, be led more by Jesus, lead more like Jesus, and, and lead more to Jesus, um, that would change a lot of things. Um, being followers uh, who have courage to follow after Jesus uh, even though our knees might be knocking, um, that we would have our identity grounded in Christ and have a security that comes from that, that would make us bold, uh, that we would think like Christ, that we would develop others like Christ, that we would be kingdom seekers in our communities, not empire builders, uh, that we'd be collaborating, um, that we would be seeing our neighbors. Um, sometimes uh, I don't see people uh, but Jesus, even though there are crowds around him, he saw individual people. And he not only saw people, but he saw their inside longings. And if we could do that as a church, I think that would be a game changer. If we turn the temperature up on prayer to see uh, our neighbors uh, come to faith, to see revival happen in our country, that would be a game changer. So that's kind of what gets me fired up about Jesus-centeredness. Uh, may it be so. What a beautiful picture of the kind of leader that leads not just like Jesus, but as you've described it, from Jesus. And I, I do pray this book does very well. Steve, part of the Arrow leadership tradition is after presenters presented, uh, you would come up and you would ask that presenter for a couple of prayers. One would be personal, one would be related to work or ministry. I wonder for our listeners, if you'd be willing to share a couple of things that they can be praying about. Thanks so much, Mark. And uh, uh, personally, uh, I always love prayers for my my family. So Lee, as she continues to, to walk in faith, that healings happened um, for my kids, that my prayer for my kids is always, uh, God, give them a soft heart toward you and a soft heart toward mom and dad. And uh, so far, so good, but I'll take, I'll take more prayers uh, to that end. And in terms of ministry-wise, um, I'd love to pray uh, you to pray a mustard seed prayer for me, um, which is for revival. Um, revival is a word that seems like this, it, that it's lost in some musty old book in a bottom of a library somewhere. I don't hear it anymore. And I'm praying that in the midst of COVID, uh, this crazy time that God's people would be stirred to pray for revival. So that's my heartbeat for revival in me, revival in my church, revival in my city, revival in our country. And I know it's a mustard seed kind of prayer, but um, 
uh, I think if we're not praying it now, when are we going to pray it? How can people find out more about your book, your books about Arrow Leadership? Yeah, arrowleadership.org. You can learn more about the Arrow Leadership Program, uh, various things we do for leaders, uh, coaching, consulting, performance reviews, that kind of thing. We also have a store, so arrowleadership.org. The Jesus-centered book is also on Amazon and and other places too, if you want to go that route. Great, and do you have personal websites? Yeah, steveabrown.com and uh, jesuscenteredbook.com are two other ones. Excellent. So it's not asteveabrown.com, it's steveabrown.com. Yes, trying to differentiate from uh, (laughs) from my my, uh, friend in the South. Steve, I thoroughly enjoyed this book. I ate it up. Uh, You know, one thing I'd I'd say to to those people who are listening, it's highly accessible. uh, and, And I think it's actually really well geared for group study or at least small group study uh, for, for uh, you know, pastoral groups or leadership groups or elders group uh, to get a hold of guiding questions and prayers and stuff. It's just, it's just awesome. I want to thank you today for being here. It was a treat to meet you, uh, even uh, to be teased by you about the difference in the weather. Uh, but April's coming where it'll be sunny here and, you know, uh, gray there. But it's great to have you here and it's great to have you as a guest on Faith FX. This episode of Faith Effects was produced for Ambrose University in Calgary, Alberta by Anthony Hoisington, that's me, at Old Bear Records in Batavia, New York.